uh, are we're going to spend spending some time today in the Gospel of Luke in the 13th chapter. So go ahead and start moving in that direction in your Bibles, if you will. Uh, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, I'd ask you to please grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, grab one of those and take it home with you. Let that be our gift to you this morning. There is no price too high for us to pay to put the Word of God into someone's hand. And so please consider that a gift from us to you this morning if you need a copy of Scripture. We are in the middle of this journey as a congregation through the New Testament. We're going through the New Testament uh, in 90 days. We should still have some reading plans out front available. Um, Grab one. Uh, Don't try and bother catching up. Just jump in right where we're at at this point. Just join us as we go through together. Um, We have been all the way through Matthew and all the way through Mark at this point, and we are a little further than halfway through the Gospel of Luke. And so as we go through, I'm trying to, to preach and teach along with the readings that we have. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to sit there and be like, okay, of all of these things, which is the thing that I should bring? Where is, the, where is the passage that I should take the time to study over the course of the week, to learn, to internalize, to ask God for a message and to bring it back to you? And sometimes it's easy. Today, it was relatively easy. Because I believe that it's, it's a message that we need to hear Interestingly, it's also one of those messages that as events of the week unfolded, it seems to fit even more than I knew when I chose this passage earlier in this week. And so we are in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 9. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? At that time... Some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he, Jesus, responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower of Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we gather this morning and as we open your word, we are reminded that throughout history. You have persevered 
in claiming and in reclaiming your people. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would renew for us your call to repentance, that you would surround us with witnesses to aid us in our journey, that you would grant to us the time to fashion our lives anew. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those kind of interesting stories because we don't really know what they're talking about. There are these two incidents, right, that are mentioned. There's this the mixing of the blood of the Galileans with the sacrifice and this falling of the Tower of Siloam. And these two events, and, and there's not much to let us know what specifically is being referred to here. There is some indication that this reference to blood being mixed with the sacrifices is a response to this. Around this time, Pilate, who is the Roman governor in Judea, is pursuing a public works project. He is seeing a need for a new water supply in Jerusalem. So he's doing what the Romans do. What do the Romans do? Wherever they go, they build two things. What do they build? They build roads and aqueducts. And so he's building a new aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem. If you know anything about Jerusalem and Judea and Israel and Palestine and Syria these days, you know that water is still a serious issue. It's one of the reasons that Israel, a number of years ago, seized the Golan Heights, which is actually supposed to be part of Syria, because that's the the source for their water. And so Pilate is having this water, this aqueduct built to bring fresh water into Jerusalem. Okay, sounds good. What's the problem? The problem is this. Pilate says the reason we need new water in Jerusalem is because the temple is here. And all of these people come at various times of the year for various festivals to worship at the temple. And so they're the ones who are overtaxing the water supply, polluting the water supply, polluting the wells. And so I'm going to take your temple tax and I'm going to use it to build the aqueduct. Do you think people were excited about that? No, because now what they see is this outside foreign authority interfering with their religion, interfering with their faith, taking the temple tax and using it to support the building of this aqueduct. And so what we know happens, we know one thing happens, and and, and it's probably what this is referring to. They're gathered in the temple, and they're emerges a kind of protest against this building of the aqueduct. And so what we know is this, is that Pilate sends Roman soldiers um, dressed as civilians, so what we might think of as plain clothes soldiers, to mix in with the people, and that at a particular moment, they're supposed to throw off their cloaks and take their clubs and sort of beat the people into submission until they scatter and sort of end the protest. Well, the problem is this. What happens 
when you give a group of young men a weapon and tell them to turn it against someone? Do they stop all of the time when they're told to stop? No. And so what ends up happening is they don't just disperse the crowd, they beat a great number of people to death in the temple. And so that's probably, probably what this is in reference to. We don't know for sure, but probably this is in reference to that. That the people have come to Jesus and brought him the story, and they want to see how Jesus is going to respond. Because they're trying to figure out which side is Jesus on. Because we all have to be on a side, right? We've got to be pro-Roman or we've got to be pro-Judea. We've got to be for North Carolina State or we've got to be for UNC. We've got to be a Democrat or we've got to be a Republican. You've got to be for Carolina or against Carolina. Who's for Carolina these days? Are they, are they still playing football over there? Look, I'm a Saints fan. I'm allowed to say it. We always have to pick a side, right? That's what we're told to do. We're told it's this or that, one or the other. And so they come to Jesus, and they're, they're trying to figure out which side Jesus is on. Because here's the thing. There are going to be some people in his group who are wanting Jesus to say, shame on Pilate. We're on our way to Jerusalem already. Let's march on Jerusalem, gather the pitchforks and the torches. We shall march on the governor's mansion in Jerusalem and throw Pilate out on his ear. And there are some who want to hear that. There are some who think that would be justified. Because after all, here it is. These people simply gathered in the temple, beaten to death. The other side, the other response is this, and and Jesus seems to think that at least some of the folks in his audience want him to respond this way. They want him to justify the killing. Well, if they hadn't have been there, they wouldn't have been in any trouble. If they hadn't have been there at this little protest thing, then nobody would have gotten hurt. So it's on them. Their sin caused their death. Their They're worse than the rest of us. You see the either-or that's set up here? And see, here's the thing. We're, we're still often confronted with these sort of either-or situations, right? You've got to pick one or the other. When I chose this passage back on Monday, looking through what we were reading through this week, I had no idea at that point that they were going to release that body cam footage on Friday from the death in Memphis. I had no idea that we would have protests on Friday and Saturday night all over our country. But yet, this is a situation just like this, isn't it? We're told by everybody out there, we got to pick a side. You either have to get up in an uproar because this young man was killed by the police officers, 
Or you've got to justify his killing by pointing out what a bad person he was. One or the other. Those are your two choices. We've seen this happen over and over and over again over the last several years. There will be a death, a tragic death, and we're told we've got to pick a side. And which side you pick signals to different groups your righteousness. Right? If you, if you choose against the police officers, then you're signaling to a certain group in our society your righteousness. How wonderful and pure and ideologically wonderful you are. Or, if you like to point out that sometimes these men who are killed at the hands of police officers are guys who have a history and a past and are bad and maybe, maybe there's something that they were doing that justified it, then you're, you're signaling to another group of people, right? Your righteousness. I'm going to back the blue. Or... Black lives matter. One or the other, right? Choose. But how about instead of choosing on the basis that the world wants us to choose, we look and see what Jesus does. Because Jesus does it says it's not one or the other. Jesus says repent. They want to force Jesus into making a decision, one way or the other, for the folks who were killed in the temple or for Pilate. Choose. And Jesus says, repent. Repent. Because guess what? Nobody who was in that temple, the protesters or the soldiers, None of them were a worse sinner than you. See, Jesus uses this as a chance to remind the people that the choices and picking sides in this world isn't what it's about. Jesus is reminding people that what it's about is our status and our relationship with God. And guess what? It doesn't matter. You can back the blue or you can wave a BLM flag and you're still a sinner. You can support the protesters in the temple or you can support Pilate. You're still a sinner in need of repentance. See, repentance is this inner resolve and determination to turn away from sin and turn toward the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and this is not a rhetorical question. This is a sincere question. Who of us have sinned this week? There are a couple of you who didn't put your hands up. I'm going to assume it's because you're shy. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that your sin is less than someone else's. Because what Scripture tells us is that all sin separates us from God. That all sin condemns us. That all sin 
will lead to death. And so, whether it be the sin of leaving your shopping cart in the middle of the parking lot, or the sin of getting irrationally angry about the person who left their shopping cart in the middle of the parking lot, both of us stand condemned. Perhaps a silly example, but also true. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, You have heard it said, do not kill your brother, but I say whoever says to your brother, Raka, fool, stands condemned. Now I want to ask another question. When was the last time you watched the news and you saw somebody from the other side, whatever side that is, and you thought in your head, what a fool. I don't know, yesterday? Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. And I know that we don't like to sit in church and talk about sin, right? You want to come and you want to be told how wonderful it is and how God is always with you because life can be a burden, can it? But how about this? How about the burden of our life is caused by the sin in our life? And that maybe if we came in and heard a little bit more about sin and a little bit more about repentance and we did a little bit more of that, our burdens would be lifted. I used an anecdote about a shopping cart. In verse 4, Jesus uses something a little bit more serious. This anecdote about the tire of Siloam. And we don't know. We would think here that this would be something that would be recorded, but we don't see a record of it anywhere. But it's something that was happened enough, that had enough of an impact at the time that Jesus knew that his listeners would hear it. And so here you have something not where somebody has done something because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, because potentially they could be blamed for it. These are people we are led to believe who are simply there, and this building collapses and kills them. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why did an apartment condo complex a year and a half ago collapse in Miami. Why two or three years ago was there a fire in an apartment building in London that killed numerous people? Jesus' response here is not to answer that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus' response is because bad things happen to good people. Because death is coming. Because the rain falls on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Repent. Because you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. Repent. Because death comes for us all. And we must all repent. 
or face the judgment of God and be lost to him forever. And then Jesus does this thing that he does a lot, where he, he's taught and now he tells a parable. And it's this, this strange parable about this fig tree and a vineyard that isn't bearing any fruit. And so the master of the vineyard wants to destroy it. Because after all, what's the point of a fruit tree that produces no fruit? Is it doing its job? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? No. At this point, it's just taking up resources. Those of you who have raised chickens that aren't pets, what do you do when one of the ladies stops laying? You have fried chicken. Pardon me for getting the menu wrong. You have chicken stew. I guess they do get a little tough after a while, don't they? But that's what you do, right? When I was in college, we had a a milk cow on campus. Yes, because I went to that kind of school. We had a milk cow on campus, and when she stopped producing milk, guess what we did? We had hamburgers. Every Wednesday. It was great. For like months, we ate Bessie. It's fantastic. Because when we stop being productive, when we stop doing the thing that we were made to do, that we were kept for, we might as well stop being that thing, right? So when the fig tree stops producing fruit, it may as well not be a fig tree. Because in a very real sense, it's not a fig tree anymore. It's just a tree in the vineyard taking up resources. And so the master says that he wants to pull it out. Let's tear it down. And the worker does this thing. The worker says, give me one more chance to make it healthy. Give me one more chance to really put the work in to tend it, to fertilize it. And if it still bears no fruit, then let us cut it down. See, the continued presence of the fig tree in the vineyard is dependent on the fruit that it produces. And without fruit, it has no purpose in the vineyard. Brothers and sisters, we are called to repent. And the consequence of that repentance, the consequence of turning away from sin and toward God, is a new life to be born again. And out of that new life, fruit comes. You don't want to hear me sing. And if good fruit is absent from a person's life, then judgment is certain. See, an inner repentance leads to external fruit. And without 
fruit, our professions, our faith, our repentance are as genuine as a barren fig tree pretending to be healthy. Now we can get this twisted and we can think that the works come first and the repentance and the salvation comes after, but that's not the way that it's supposed to work. The repentance and the faith comes first and then the works flow out of that. And so my question today is this. I've got two questions for you. The first is this. Do you stand in need of repentance? And what I'm going to say is the answer for all of us is yes. But I'm going to ask you specifically, do you stand in need of repentance perhaps for the first time to make a confession of faith? Or perhaps a rededication. You've walked away from the Lord for a season and, and, and he's calling you back to himself and you need to publicly make profession and repentance. That's the first question. The second question is this. If your first question, if the answer to that first question, which should be yes, what is the fruit that your life is displaying? Are you a fig tree that's loaded with figs? Is someone going to come through and make wonderful, yummy fig jam from the fruit in your life? Or are you sitting worthless and barren, claiming the name of Christ, and yet no fruit coming forth in your life? Because if it is the latter, brothers and sisters, you must question your repentance. But here's the thing. The master's not coming and tearing you out by the roots today. He's giving time for you to be discipled and tended and fertilized so that you can grow, so that you can get healthy, and so fruit can be born in your life. When the world presents us with dichotomies, this or that, our answer should always be, uh uh-uh, repentance. And on the heels of that repentance, fruit. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be 295, Near to the Heart of God. I would encourage you this morning, if, if you 